So we are in a little bit of a, a break on our series working through Mark and we're looking at, at different prayers in the New Testament while we're in this season of 40 days of prayer and fasting. There's a lot of curries being eaten in a month of fasting. Wow, this <laughs> is like amazing, isn't it? It'd probably only be you there, Parvi, and others that are expecting babies. Everyone else would be busy fasting. So, never mind. You know. So look, wow. So um, Acts 4, 23 to 31 is the one that we're looking at today, and we're going to be thinking about praying under pressure, gathering together with others, and praying when the pressure is on as a church, and how that leads to bold witness. So we are thinking this week about uh, bold witness in the way in which we're praying, so there are going to be little videos that are coming out. Are you enjoying the videos that pop out? Each day, it's good, isn't it, to see different people's faces and just have a bit of a window into people's thoughts each day. So this week, some of the videos will be leading us through thinking about what it means to be witnesses, reaching out to other people. So Acts four twenty-three to thirty-one. If you've got Bibles or phones or whatever else you're using, AI assistance. Yeah. Then uh, Acts 4, let's read it through. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so on their release, this is their release from being arrested and warned. This is, so this is after Jesus has died and come back to life three days later, praise God, and after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and they've began, begun to preach the, the, the gospel and obviously the authorities, the religious authorities in particular, are not happy about this. They're starting to become alarmed and jealous. So on their release, they took hold of them and they gave them a warning. But Peter and John went back and reported all that had been said to them. When they heard this, this is the bigger group of disciples, they all raised their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke the word of God boldly, yes. Be amazing, wouldn't it, if our prayer meetings were like that every time? Every time the, the walls shake. If you go into the Jasper Centre, you might think the walls have been shaking because there's cracks 
There literally is. Um, there's a small slash large subsidence problem at the Jasper Centre, been there for years. So, But it would be wonderful if we said we had a prayer meeting, the building shook, now there's cracks. And now we've got to collect money together to sort that out because God keeps shaking our buildings every time we meet. Lord, please let it happen. Um, wonder if that would be covered on insurance. It's not normally, is it? Divine, isn't, isn't like acts of God. They don't cover that. Yeah. No, I don't think they do, no. Heavenly insurance, yeah. Ba-boom, very good, Rod. Thank you for that. So amazing little account there. But let's think about what it, what it means to, to pray together when we are under pressure and why it's important that we pray with other people, not just on our own. And so gathering together when the heat is on, what can we learn from this little account? What does this mean for us individually and as a church? So th- this was quite a, a difficult moment in the life of the church. They were, yes, coming off the excitement and joy of Jesus being raised from the dead, but no- nonetheless, they'd seen Jesus crucified, so they knew that there's a possibility people might get killed, and so that, that was a risk. They, they were getting threats and warnings. So this is the context this is bred in. They're being warned like with the tone of the same thing will happen to you. And if you read on, if we were to flick over into chapters 5 and 6 and 7, you would find that's exactly what happens. So it's only a little bit later when the, the apostles are again arrested and they're, they're beaten and thrashed and then set free. And then you flick over again in Acts, another page or two, and who dies? First martyr, Stephen, is stoned to death. And then on and on you go. That is the story of the early church. So these, these aren't just baseless threats, are they? This is, this is quite frightening, really. And I, and I think for most of us, if we were in this context, we'd, we'd have that combination of great joy and excitement. Jesus is alive, and I absolutely know this is true, but people are being killed around me. This, this is highly dangerous. So the pressure is on. There's, there's an epoch-shaping worldview that has entered in Christ. It's, it's, yes, it's a carry-on from the Jewish belief system and religion, but it's a, it's a new religion in the sense of this is now faith in Jesus Christ. So it's, so it's so new that it's turning the world upside down. It's so new that the Jews can't accept it. This is how different it is. So this is a highly like disorientating time for everyone. There's all sorts that are going on. This is a, a disruptive time, and they are at least at that point in the minority. So this is a minority group, which we know is going to grow and grow and grow, but they're in a minority. So there's a lot of pressure on. And, and I wonder, just pause at this point, like w- when you're under pressure... Um, maybe there are people here that we don't know about that are under pressure when it comes to life and death issues. You might be under pressure at work or with health or even with threats from other people. People do come under threats from family members or warnings about various situations. But it creates pressure, doesn't it? Whether you're at pres- under pressure at work or decisions you've got to make. You might say, okay, there's smaller pressures in many ways than the pressure of 
you're going to die. But nonetheless, we feel it. Sometimes it feels like we're going to die. Or even, I'd rather die. I don't want to be here. What I'm dealing with is so big. So what, what is it that you're going through that, that creates that similar kind of confusion or feeling of help? I can't, I can't cope with this. There's, there's something coming at me or my family or my household or my workplace or my business or my money or my health. What is that? So what, what they do here in the early church, and this is what we really need to try and do as well, is they, is they gathered together with other people. So it says, after they were released, they went back to their own people and gathered. They didn't go home and watch Netflix. They didn't go home and just sit at McDonald's and then go off by themselves. They wanted to get together. Okay, they lived in a culture and a society where it was normal to be together, but... It, stuff happened when they were together. We know that there's, a, there's a, a picture in that of the body of Christ, the temple where, where God comes and fills and shakes walls. So they choose to go back, to gather together. And, and I wonder whether you do that. So when the pressure's on, when you're feeling under it, um, where do you go? Where do you gather? Who do you go to? Is it always the same friend? Is it, is it if you're married? Is it the person you're married to? Is it nobody? Do you just go by yourself when you're in a difficult season and, and sit in a room and think about it all? Maybe you go to places where you think, I probably shouldn't be going there. You might do things that you think, I don't think I should do that when I'm under pressure. That, that's wrong. Or I know the Spirit is saying to me, no, no, don't do that. Don't go to those presses. Finding comfort in things that we know are sinful. So where, where do you go when you're low? When the, when the weight is being felt? Do you go ever and gather with others to pray? Whether it's a church prayer meeting, we've got a lot of them going on at the moment. Whether it's within a, a small group grow group, whether it's here on a Sunday morning. Of course, you have to actually, you could gather but not be fully present. You know, like when you're talking to someone, and there's, people talk about this today, don't they, generally, culturally, like when you're with someone, remember to be fully present with them when you talk to them. What does that mean? It means you look and you hear and you listen and your brain isn't any going to other places. So you can be in a meeting or on a Sunday, but not be fully present because you don't really gather with others where you're sharing, where you're asking for prayer. So where, where are you going? Who do you share with about your stuff so it's firstly it's it's for your benefit so when you get together with other people first it's your benefit so you get the opportunity to tell someone else what's going on with you not not everyone finds that easy to do but it is a it is a blessing it is a benefit it is a way in which we grow that we're sanctified by opening up by being appropriately vulnerable and honest some things might be a Sunday morning out loud prayer some things might be a one or two people after a Sunday morning pull them aside to tell them it's not all the same stuff coming out everywhere but the point is it's for your benefit so who do you share with it's probably the question who is it that knows what it is that's calling causing you pain does anyone know outside of if you're married 
anyone else, does anyone else know? Do you feel like in who in Strood Peninsula community, you could all say, yeah, yeah, they know. Yeah, they know. They know. Like if we sit down after on a table, like we'll have a little table, pull it aside at the front here. I'll sit there. You come and sit down. And then if I said to you, tell me, let's start with, tell me the thing that you don't want to tell me most of all. What's the thing that you'd least like to have a discussion with me about, about what you're feeling or what you're going through or what you're doing? Let's start there. I, I was reading a book this week. That's exactly what happened. Someone went for uh, counselling with another pastor and, that he, and, and he said, I had all my list of stuff, you know, because I was feeling under it. And so I went to get help and I had all my list and then he said, no, no, forget the list. Let's just start with what's the one thing that you'd rather not talk to me about or tell me about. Let's just start with that. Forget all these other things I know you're carrying. And so who knows that about you? Does it ever come out? If not on week one, week two, week three, month two, month three, month four. Where? where? Because sometimes, often, we have to say it, share it. I'm scared. I'm under pressure. So collectively that's what they're saying they're saying this is happening God this is scary and we get onto the prayer in a minute we trust you God but God this is how we are feeling who do you talk to about what's going on in the last uh, couple of weeks since we've been praying it's been great coming into some of the prayer meetings and hearing personal requests as well. Yes, we've been praying about the themes and stuff we're doing as a church, but it's certainly last week I was in two different prayer meetings where people were sharing or asking for prayer or being anointed with oil about quite personal situations that were going on in their family or their life. So they'd come into a context where others are gathering. It wasn't like it was raised publicly, but while they were there, they got prayer. Or because they were there, there were a couple of people that knew what was going on. They approached them. They were prayed for. So point is, when you gather with others, you benefit. But you have to, at some point, somewhere, be vulnerable because sometimes... God doesn't work more deeply without you sharing. Because it's like you tell God on your own, even if you don't tell him he knows, but he might sometimes be saying, go to one another, confess your sins to one another, that you might be healed, James. Often that has to happen. So if you're under pressure, you're feeling it, tell someone, I'm scared, I'm doing this, I'm stuck in this. Ask God for boldness to speak out but it's for others benefits others benefit as well so when you gather with others when you go back to your own people other people benefit it's not just a personal thing it's about you loving others as was on one of the videos this week I think it was uh, Kate actually by your love for one another John 13 all men will know you're my disciples. So loving other people means you hear someone else's need and you pray for them. Loving the church means you hear about other needs or, or stuff that the community wants to push on in and you pray selflessly for that. So it's a way of turning outward, out from yourself. And so what do you know about someone else? What do you know about 
the church? What do you know about what others are going through? Do you know anything? So um, what, what are the things that are pressure points for our church at the moment? Do you know? You might know if you're in settings with other people praying because they come out. What are the main areas where we're giving time to pray for it because that's our vision, because that's some of the prophetic words that have been spoken over the years? What are those things? Um, What are the things that some of the other communities are going through? Do you know any of them? What's the stuff that I'm going through? Don't be messaging me a thousand messages today. I'm just giving you an illustration. It could be you. What's the things Wilf's going through? Um, What am I going through? Do you know? Um, Things get shared, don't they? When you gather in informal context, you start to get to know people. So if you're not in in, in in a small group, if you don't come regularly on a Sunday, if you don't meet socially, if you don't go into a prayer meeting, you restrict massively the opportunity to hear about any all of those things it just becomes an inward journey it's like you and God you pray about your own stuff you think about your own stuff no one else knows you barely pray for other people and you come in and out you're present but you're not really present whereas in a body a temple the imagery of of God's household it's integrated so it takes time and effort to be together with others And we have to keep gathering. You can't live on yesterday's bread, yesterday's miracle, yesterday's resurrection has to be made alive in the present. So just because the early church, the apostles, had seen Jesus, and they're very excited about that, but we know as we read on in the New Testament, people like us got distracted, they got tempted, they got drawn away, they, they, they departed from the faith because of fear. All those warnings and some of the stories are in there, aren't they, in the New Testament? Because Demas loved the world, he abandoned me. That was Apostle Paul, wasn't it? So it's not like, what? But they, some of them saw Jesus. They were like first generation. Why would you depart from the faith or compromise when it's only been... 50 years since the event happened and and extraordinary things were happening around it I was reading a couple of weeks ago that little bit after Jesus rises from the dead and the temple shakes and the curtains torn and then it says like loads of people rose from the dead and were wandering around the town talking to people you skim over that bit rightly so because Jesus has been raised from the dead but you think I mean that would have been mental wouldn't it to see like dozens and dozens of people who have died Walking about, talking, something's happened. Like, if I was around that time, in my head, I'm thinking, I would never depart from the faith. I'd never deny Jesus. I'd die for it. I'd never compromise or mess about with anything because I'm so sure of it. But yet, somehow, the warnings come in. Jesus warns and he warns and he warns. And the parable of the sower, anyone is vulnerable to drifting away. Point being, you can't just rely on oh, God did something for me a while back, because you forget it. God answers prayers, does miracles, you see stuff, you experience stuff, but then still the pressure comes. Today's persecution or pressure or weight or pain or discouragement comes on and it overloads us and it blinds us to what God has done. And so we need to gather together in order 
to pray, remind, encourage, revisit, open ourselves to the Spirit so that those things become live now, today, so that the power of Jesus and his resurrection is brought into our hearts and our minds and our souls like with fresh vigour and clarity. So it, it gives us boldness and strength and it realigns us again. So it's got to be live. You've got to be present. So they gather and then they pray together, of course. So maybe see this prayer, this prayer under pressure, as a template for how you can pray, we can pray. And so let's just look through at some of the phrases that they use. So obviously they know what to pray about because the reports come. They've said this is the need. So what have you said to someone? What, is, what are you going through as a community? Have you shared? Then they, they begin to pray. They raise their voice. So we know that at least one person was praying out loud because it's reported what they said. And if they were all sitting there like that, amen, then it would be guesswork as to what the prayer was. But they know the prayer was, Lord, do this. They know what, what verses were quoted from the Old Testament and all sorts. So when we gather together, we, we pray, and you, you have to hear prayers at least sometimes. Yes, you can pray quietly. Yes, you can pray in your head, and we do that as well. But when we gather together, there's got to be praying out loud as well. Some people have to pray out loud on behalf of us all, and we all say amen. So raise your voice. It's really important. I encourage you to do that. If you're used to only praying quietly, why don't you practice praying with one other person out loud? Some people are fine in groups, others are not. Why don't you practice? Because it's, it's good to move beyond that like feeling of everything being stuck inside, especially to pray for someone else. Because I need prayer. Would you pray for me out loud? And so quiet is good and noisy is good. Quiet's good. When I was here a few weeks ago, I think I, I said to you I was going on a silent retreat, which I did two weeks ago. I was there for a week, and it was in a, a, a monastery spirituality retreat centre in North Wales, and I was... Not completely silent, but I had no social inter interaction for a whole week. No, f no phones, no phone calls home, uh, no internet, not really reading. I read, read once when I was there. I was praying out loud, and I had a talk with a spiritual advisor every day. Um, I went for walks, and there was food and all that, but everything else was, was cut off. In the, it, a bit like Jesus going into the desert. You know, he didn't have books and internet. There wasn't people with us. Or Jesus would often withdraw, wouldn't he, up a mountainside. So in that context, when you're quiet, absolutely great things happen and you pray by yourself. So we should, we should learn from that kind of model and include that in our lives as well. But today, this, this one here is praying out loud. This one is about gather with others, share it, and let's pray an amen together. So they raise their voice, then, then they recognize God's transcendent power and authority over all things. So they start by saying, Sovereign Lord. So they, they address him with a confidence in how big he is. Even though their problem is big, life and death big, Lord, 
sovereign Lord. In other words, you, you are sovereign. Your plans, your purposes, your ability to control and oversee and, and, and organize is above all things. So if you see yourself and your problems always in the light of sovereign Lord, and don't forget, if, if this is a template, this is how you could pray for someone today or ask someone to, to pray for you in this kind of way. They would say, Sovereign Lord, we trust you. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why my brother, my sister is going through this. You know they've been in pain for so long, but Sovereign Lord, you are transcendent over it all. You are more, much more powerful. You are able. And then they go on to, to remind one another in prayer and state it before God, saying it as if God might have forgotten, but he can't have done. But that's how they seem to pray. They, they remind one another of what God's already said and done in the Bible. So they start praying from different parts of the Holy Scripture, the Old Testament, in their case. So they start to talk about creation in there. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are the one that made the world. And God's saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. What, what is it you want? You are the one. Oh, God. Yes, I know. Um, it, there must be something in it. So using Scripture and stating it before God is a really important way because it reminds others that are hearing, yeah, hang on a minute, God made the whole world. That's how big you are, God. These little people who want to kill us. What's killing us? Because you made the world. Then they're, then they're quoting from Psalm 2. So the, the chunk in there where they start to talk about the, the nations plotting and the rulers plotting, raging, kings of the earth, rising up against us. That's Psalm 2, the beginning of Psalm 2. So they're quoting that in a prayer as well. Then they start mentioning Historic details like Pilate and Herod, who is persecuting them and put Jesus to death. So it's like they're naming names and things that have actually gone on. They're saying them out loud. And so this is what we have to do as well. So, Sovereign Lord, we trust in you. We affirm you, O God, as transcendent. And then pull Scripture into your praying. What's God said? What does he say throughout the whole Bible? We can use that and remind God of those things. Not that he's, he's forgotten, but he likes, it seems, to be told, to be reminded, to be, have things underlined, brought to his attention, because it's like a sign of our faith, our trust. It's strengthening us. So, so if you don't know what to pray, pray the Bible. Pray some verses from the Bible for other people. Then they talk about Jesus. So it's always good to talk about Jesus in our praying. This is a template for how we could pray together. So they, they affirm Jesus, his death. They affirm that Jesus' death was part of God's plan. They even say that. So it's like the sovereignty thing. Lord, you had decided this would happen even though he died. And they talk about the, the miracles happening through his holy name. And so when we pray for one another, we, we want to bring attention to Jesus, don't we? And we're not saying, Jesus, you died 
oh, it's really bad, but amazing God made something good out of it. That would only be half true. He planned it. Jesus willingly gave himself to death. It was the plan all along. Nobody tricked God or did something that God's now rescued. It was the, it was the plan all along. So they're saying, God, even, even in the death of Jesus, so your plan. We trust in you entirely. So we focus on Jesus and on, on his holy name. It's not just quoting in the name of Jesus. and It's like the, the clincher at the end. Oh, because you've mentioned his name. It's not like a magic chant. It's to do with the, the, the approach that we make. I don't come in my own confidence, but in his. I don't ask because I'm worth something. I'm asking because Jesus is worth something and what he's done. So I'm putting my faith in the name of Jesus. They tell God about what's happened. So they report, they report to one another and they report to God, even though he already knows. They're, they're, they're telling God specifically, even though he's not even surprised about it. So we're, as our kids have got older, we've got two that are over 18 now, and then one of ours was saying the other, other month, something along the lines of, you know that time when dot, dot, dot happened? That was me. And we're like, oh, you little rotter. But because, <laughs> because 10 years has passed, it's gone. God's not like that. When we tell him what we've done, what we're feeling like, what's happening, it's not like he goes, oh, no, or you haven't, have you? He's, he's not surprised. He knows. But he, he wants us to tell him. So you, you report to God what you've done. You confess to God when you need to. You tell God about the fear and the weight and the burden. And that, because that's a way of offloading, it's a way of coming to God, the only one who can actually carry emotionally all these things, all these pressures and these threats without a hint of stress or anxiety. Isn't that amazing that God's not anxious or overwhelmed he can cope with everything that's going on globally, universally, throughout all time and history, and he's not stressed or pressured. Nothing's forgotten, nothing's overlooked. How big, how amazing is our God? And then, in that context, then you make your request. So then they, they ask God, in the light of all these things, and we've told you all these things, Lord, enable us to speak with boldness. Stretch out your hand to perform wonders and miracles in the mighty name of Jesus. So they don't just leave it up to God. So faith isn't always leaving it, trusting, not mentioning it. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you, you might have a sense that I've asked, I've prayed, it's done, or I don't feel like God's saying, come, I've come already. Uh, but usually we tell God and then we ask. You don't have because you don't ask, it says in James. And so we ask him, what is it that you want? What is it you need? And so you come confidently in his name and ask him. And in their case, they're asking not, not, not that they might get out of there, 
but that they might remain there and be bold, that they might have the one thing that they're being warned not to have. Do not be bold, do not be courageous, keep your mouth shut, hide in the shadows. And they're saying, no, help us to not do that. Lord, please. So there's the prayer. So maybe we can use that as something of a template, even when you come to a prayer meeting over these next few weeks. Think of that. Open up Acts. Look in Acts 4. Look down. Start praying it. But change the people. Change the categories. Start asking like that. And then to finish off, the response comes in an amazing way, in a wall-shaking way, as we've already heard. They are filled with the Spirit, and God comes in a, in a, in a physical, tangible, perceivable way. Love it. Lord, please, we ask for more and that, more and more of that. We know he comes in the quiet, doesn't he? He comes in the fire for Moses when he was called in the burning bush, and he came in the quiet whisper when Elijah saw him and he says there he wasn't in the earthquake wasn't in the powerful wind so it's not either or but here he comes powerfully tangibly it's the earthquake it's the fire that comes and so they're filled with the spirit even though they've already been filled with the spirit and so if you're a believer here you've already received the spirit to be a Christian and some of you would say, I know I've been filled with the Spirit, baptised in the Spirit. I've had an experience of God a bit like Pentecost. Praise God. But again, they ask, they pray, and they are filled again. And we know Peter was already filled because we, we started reading in verse 23. But back in verse 8, it says there that, that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. So, is he filled? Isn't he filled? What's God filling? They're already full, some of them. Won't it just, like, drip on the floor? There's nowhere for it to go. But yet, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're told in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled up on another kind of spirit. And, and, it, and it says... Go on being filled with the Spirit. That's the, the way it's written. doesn't come through in all the English translations. But it's go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. On and on and on and on and on and on and on. You're filled with it. And it's a bit more like a balloon being blown up or wind in a sail than it is pouring water into a glass. So when you blow a balloon up, you can blow it more and more and more and more and more, can't you? Until it normally bangs, unless you get one of those whopper ones that you can get so think of being filled with the spirit like that that you're filled and you're expanded or like a boat for it to move the sail has to be filled somewhat it moves but it can be filled more it's like the wind blows harder on it harder harder and, you, and it's like you open up the sail you open your life up to God more the wind blows harder so think of being filled more like that so they asked, we should keep asking. Sometimes we'll feel it, feel it and know it and hear it. Sometimes we might not. Both are going on in the Christian life. And then the result was that they did indeed go on speaking with boldness. They defied the warnings and the threats. Praise God. 
praise God for us, if they gave up, at least on a human level, wouldn't have spread, would it? But we're here because they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke. And as they were scattered later on, they kept speaking and it spread. Thank you very much. But yet we know we're already bold. And this morning, some of the songs were about boldness and courage, weren't they? And bravery and not being afraid. And we know the spirit that we've received is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. So we know we've, we've got that spirit, but we have to go in line with it. Keep in step with that spirit. Ask to be filled more that the true boldness and courage of the Spirit might push us onwards and outward in, in the context of the pressures and pains and setbacks and threats that we might face. And so the very thing that the Spirit leads them to do is, is to remain where they are, not to remove them. And sometimes we pray, remove me, take me away. Remove this person, this situation. Even Jesus prayed, didn't he? Lord, if it be your will, remove this cup of suffering. Lord, is there another way? But then in Jesus, we see that model being worked out. He remained and said, yet not my will, yours. He submitted to the Father's will, didn't he? Not me, but you. So, Sometimes we have to pray like that, and that is the gospel. And so in Jesus, when he did that and when he prayed that, that equaled and led to the greatest turning point and glory ever. So the, the most glory, if you, if you look, where's the most glorious point in Jesus' life? It, it's got to be that turning point on the cross. We know afterwards, of course, it's glory and resurrection, but there's something about that giving himself and laying down to the will of the Father, the transcendent God, even if lives are lost and pain is felt, not my will, but your will. I go ahead with it because I'm in your hands. The raising of the dead comes later. and We know all of us, regardless of our situations and pressures and pains, there's going to be a raising from the dead that comes. You might get some of it now, you might get some of it in a year. You might even experience a physical raising from the dead. But there's another one coming that's greater and better and eternal. And all of us are moving towards that one, aren't we? So even if you don't feel you're getting it now, what you want in the way you want, you will get it. It's what happened to Jesus. Eventually it came. It will come. You will be raised up again on the last day. So God says, Put your hearts and your thinking and your mind and your eyes at that point. Remind one another of that, and that will give you boldness and courage to cope with these temporary troubles and pains that do hit us. So keeping in step with the Spirit, what, what would that look like? So the ongoingness of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says there that, they, it's like they left, the room was shaken, they went out and spoke the word of God boldly. So what did it look like? It looked like bold, obedient, courage, action. They were witnessing. And so what does it look like for us? What would it look like for you? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it, it wouldn't look like 
some of the things that we do or get up to, would it, if we're honest? So it's an encouragement to keep being filled and keep asking. And so if we're in a room like this and we pray and it's shaken and we're all filled with the Holy Spirit and then we go out and we start shouting at our neighbour who blocks our car in on the way home, filled with the Spirit, you know, we go into work filled with the Spirit and flirt with our colleague. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and we go out next weekend, get plastered. You know, it doesn't sound like the, t- the two go together, does it? Go- they went out and spoke with boldness. Yep. A lot of other stuff that doesn't go with it, which is exactly what we're told. So it's not that complicated to see if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The moments, the seasons where you're filled with the Holy Spirit, which could be, in theory, all day, every day. But we know we need to go on growing and maturing. So reality is not always... It's not that complicated. The Bible tells us what it's like. We know what it's like. Galatians 5 tells us it's obvious, Galatians 5.19, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, division, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies... That's not the kingdom of God, it says. So it's not even hard. You don't always need dis- deep discernment, do you, to know whether you're filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, it says in the next verse in Galatians 5.22, is, is all the fruitful things that start to grow out of you. Love, joy, patience, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, have I missed any? Those kinds of qualities... And so what the early church did there, when they were filled with boldness, they were exhibiting love, love for God, joy in God above threats of death. They were exhibiting patience in suffering and forbearance and so on. Those qualities are what came out of them when they were under pressure because they were filled with the Spirit. So what comes out of you? And it, it, it can just come out like that, can't it? The stuff you think, whoops, where'd that come from? And I think back in, like, in my life, like the most angry that I've ever been, you know, if you had to like, think about what's the angriest you've ever been in your life, like for bad reasons, I mean. Like what has been the trigger point? Like, I've, for me, I think like um, number one would be when I was younger, my ZX Spectrum computer when I was about 13, a computer, playing games on a computer. It's an old-fashioned computer, yeah. yeah. Think like PlayStation, but go back a million generations, yeah. And I used to get so angry that I would literally punch on the table the keyboard until it, like, it was permanently like that shape after a while. I was so angry just playing games for hours and then losing. And I'd sometimes unplug the leads in anger and then take the keyboard out and smash it, throw it down, yeah. So angry, eh? It did still work, yeah. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. It did still work, yeah. But in those, that computer, you had to put a tape in and sit there for half an hour to load. So it was really, like, annoying, yeah. But I remember being so angry that like, I was fits of rage. 
Um, clearly, that's not like filled with the spirit, is it, at that point? And then if I rewind on, I think probably parenting has pushed my buttons. So in terms of, yeah, I love my children, but I think, yeah, what are the angriest moments in the last sort of 20, 20 years? I think there would be parenting scenarios. And so, wow. So I know that fits of rage, getting angry isn't filled with the, the spirit. So we can just get knocked off quite easily. That's what we're like. But the point is, we have to come to God. We have to, we have to pray like the disciples did. Confess it to one another. Get others to pray for us that we might go on walking in the Spirit, that we might grow. So whether it's anger, whether it's threats for life and death, the, the approach is the same. You come, you gather, you pray, you tell others, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you go and walk it out in obedience. Amen? Amen. Let's finish there.